Welcome to the Moves Room. This is Dr. Joe Armstrong talking about dairy genetics today. We're going to try to do this in three parts again. We'll be talking about dairy cross beef genetics, so beef used on a dairy, and then also beef genetics in later episodes. Dr. Bradley J. Hines will be carrying us today. He has the genetics background, so it'll be very similar to the grazing episodes where our expert was already in the room, Dr. Bradley J. Hines. Thank you for listening to this. We do want to hear from you. If you have questions, comments, ideas for the show, send them to the Moose Room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Anything you need to reference, any other additional information you want, you can certainly find it on our extension website at extension.umn.edu. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy the episode. All right, welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. We're talking about dairy genetics today. Uh, again, just the O3 OG3. We stuck with just Brad, Emily, and myself talking about dairy genetics. And Brad is the guy when it comes to dairy genetics. So, Brad, where, why, where did you start your background in genetics? Was that all in grad school, or where was it? Uh, yeah, when I, you know, went to the University of Minnesota, I had animal breeding with Tony Sikora and dairy cattle genetics with Les Hansen and it sort of sparked Talk about some OGs. Yeah. yeah, it sort of sparked my interest in dairy genetics. I was actually very interested in the dairy herd at Wasika at one time. They had, you know, 1964 Holstein genetics there and contemporary genetics. And I was very interested in how genetics changed across time. You still have some of those 64 cows, right, up at Morris? Uh, we do at Morris. Yeah, there's a few, about uh, 20 cows left in the herd. So it's uh, quite interesting. Those are, those are fun to see. When you, can, when you can see them standing side by side with a, a contemporary cow, it's quite different. They're very different. They you know, look like they're from the 60s. They act like they're from the 60s. <laughs> and they milk like they're from the 60s. So, yes, they're, they're, they're can, they can be mean. They're fat with deep udders and small round cows. Well, I, I sympathize with them, small and round. It, it's, <laughs> it's, been a, it's, it's been a good project. It's, it's a good project. I shouldn't say, you know, those cows produce about 10,000 pounds in 305 days, but get pregnant really fast and don't have any health problems. So they do have some advantages. It sounds like and a beef cow. I think cow. that does offer a good opportunity to see, you know, like you said, having you know, the 1964 cows next to like a modern cow and just seeing where genetics has taken us. And I mean, really for me, genetics comes down to one question. Who's your daddy? Yeah. You, you, you are probably right, Emily. I'm very smart. <laughs> a, a lot in dairy genetics has to go with sire selection and, and what bulls you use on, on cows. That's probably what, how we make the fastest genetic progress. So, so I guess we'll just, I mean, we'll just jump right in and what, who, who makes a bigger difference, that bull or the cow? It's probably debatable. I think you can ask different people that some people uh, are very into cow families and tracing many lineages. You know, I've, if, if you're a student of uh, the Holstein breed or, or other breeds, everybody has their favorite cow and some cows have their, uh, you know, there's still generations that uh, of excellent cows. You know, I think there's somewhere in that 20 to 25 generations of excellent cows in the Holstein breed uh, coming from one animal. So it's pedigrees and cow families are deep, but I also think it depends on what sires you use. And 
if you're trying to make genetic progress, sire selection uh, makes up uh, more than half of that. Yeah, and I mean, I always look at it as just as far as how many cows are affected, right? You can have, if you have one cow, she produces one offspring. But sire selection, you're going to be having a sire produce a lot of offspring for your dairy, right? So in terms of who makes a bigger difference, I mean, that, that bull is super, super important. And I'm not, I'm not saying the cow isn't, but that bull is, is a massive influence on what happens genetically on your dairy. Oh, I'd agree. Uh, most people have more than one daughter of a bull on, on their farms. That's uh, just the way it is if you're using AI or bulls, uh, to that matter of fact. Yeah. So when we talk about genetics, I think one of the ways that we that I think has really helped us when it comes to genetics, both on the dairy and the beef side, is that we have certain ways that we can measure it. How do, how do we measure genetics? How do, we, how do we really look at that and say, well, this cow is probably going to be better than that cow? You know, well, in the U.S., we have a genetic evaluation system where we can get genetic values for many different traits from production to fertility to health. Uh, and, and we get PTAs, so predicted transmitting abilities for uh, cows and bulls. And as a geneticist, I, I'm, I really like to select for net merit. So that's a measure of, of lifetime profitability for cows and bulls. And you can sort of compare animals based on a, a total merit index, which encompasses production, fertility, survival, and health. Yeah, and that index is a is a big word, and we'll talk more as we get into beef genetics and as we talk about uh, dairy and beef cross genetics. So that index is a is a powerful tool that we use to combine a bunch of these different traits into one one thing that gives us kind of a an idea of overall profitability or overall performance, things like that. So that'll keep coming up over and over as we talk more and more about genetics. Is this index? PTAs we, we need to talk about because they're going to be dairy specific and breed specific, right? Yeah, a PTA is typically uh, what we find in the dairy world. It's very different in the beef world. We talk about EPDs and they're basically it's just double uh, the PTA to get the uh, EPD or the breeding value of an animal. You know, a PTA is basically what a animal would transmit uh, from that parent uh, to, to the offspring. And, and the big difference between PTA and EPD for me, a lot of times is how you read them and how they're set up. So in PTAs, they're averaged to zero, right? So if you have a positive number, you're better than average. If you're negative, you're less than average for that specific trait. And as right. we move forward, I'll mention it again when we get into the beef side. EPDs are not set up that way. So you have to have a chart that tells you what number is actually the average because zero is not the average for EPDs. But just want to make that clear because I think that can be really confusing as we see guys transition from dairy to beef or in the very, very, very rare people transitioning from beef to dairy. So let's talk net merit a little more. I mean, what do you, how is it presented? Is it actually a dollar amount or what, what number do we put on that? It is a dollar amount. It's a, it's an index that basically ranks animals based on their lifetime profit. So, you know, if you have two animals, one's plus 100 and the other one is plus 200, one of those animals will produce a hundred more dollars lifetime uh, than the other animal. 
really is, is what it is. So it's in a measure of economic value. And that's why I really like it because it really gets down to the, you know, nuts and bolts of, of dairy farming and looking at the economics of it. Uh, there are some other index uh, out there. Uh, one is TPI from uh, the Holstein Association. Uh, not that it's that those in uh, those two, the net merit and TPI are correlated, but uh, TPI does include a little more uh, emphasis on type of animals. And other breeds have their own, you know, a Jersey has their own a JPI, which is Jersey Performance Index. So th there's a lot of them out there. Uh, you can use uh, either one, but you should stick with one that you like based on what your management situation is. I think if you talk to the geneticists, most of the net merit was developed from uh, science-based information on economics and all of that, which are a lot of the other index uh, have as well, uh, but they're just a little bit different from, from each other. Do you feel like net merit is playing a bigger role or a smaller role in sire selection currently? I think net merit plays a, a big role in, in sire selection. If you think about it from the commercial dairy industry, uh, it's all about profitability and economics. Now, if you're into show cows and registered breeding stock and, and things like that, you know, TPI or, or other uh, maybe more uh, available. From the commercial standpoint, I think most people are talking net merit. Yeah, I think it's just, uh, do you want a cow that looks good or a cow that works hard? And, and there's, and you know, you personal get, opinion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but there is type. Type is included in net merit. It just doesn't have the emphasis that it does in some of the other ones. So uh, we're, net merit is probably more for a functional type cow. TPI maybe a little more show type, uh, show ring type cow. That's good. And and we all know there's, a, for the most part, there's there's a big difference between those cows in in most cases, right? The show cows versus the the commercial cows. I'm not saying right, that they can't you can't have both, but that's right. And, and we're I don't we're not putting down show cows. You know, Emily used to show, and I showed, and you know we. Everybody likes to look at pretty cows, of course. Yeah. But Although in 4-H, they do have the total merit contest at the state, which takes into account type and net merit dollar value. So that's, you, are, you know, kind of a cool way that they've combined it. Yeah, I like that a lot. That animal that works hard and looks good. That's right. So Minnesota has that sort of includes the genetic merit of the animal in, in some of their 4-H shows, which is very unique. That doesn't happen in... Uh, we're not sure anywhere else in, in the United States. So it is uh, quite unique for us. So, Yeah. And, you know, just saying <laughs> my heifer won state champion one year. No big deal. No big deal. Huge deal. <laughs> we still have the sign hanging up in the milk house. <laughs> of course, forever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a so, proud so, moment for Crackleberry Dairy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it would be a huge moment because you guys didn't milk that many cows, right? Uh, no, like 40. Yeah. That's awesome. It, it is good to see uh, some of those uh, 4-H youth get recognized for their genetics uh, in their herds because sometimes those are not the animals that win the show. So it's, it's nice that you're recognizing kids that, yes, you have type and pretty cows and pretty show heifers, but not every farm is selecting that way. So it's nice to recognize those farms that do select for genetics. And, you know, they're good functional cows, but they not, might not be that, uh, you know, show winner. So one of the big questions that and I, we had talked about, maybe we shouldn't get into this, but I, I think we have to, um, uh -oh. 
the big question is that the big one of the biggest genetic choices you can make right away is what breed of cow you're going to have on your farm, right? So whether that's Holsteins or Jerseys or Dutch belted, yeah, or or Dutch belted or Ger- I'm going to have a dairy farm one day and I'm going to milk forty Dutch belted or, cows <laughs> or Hairshires or whatever you want to call it, right? So how do you make that choice, Brad? Where where do you where do you start when you're deciding on breed? Boy, that's the that's the question of the year. There, obviously, everybody has everybody's biased towards certain breeds. Emily has her bias for Holsteins. Brad has his bias for Jerseys. Yes, if people are listening, and I've done a lot of crossbreeding research. I do like Jerseys. Uh, that's my breed of choice. Uh, no, but, what's your favorite breed? <laughs> what's my favorite breed? Yeah. Beef. Okay, what's your favorite dairy breed, Smart Alec? I, I'm a Jersey person. I like jerseys a lot. Yes. Mostly. We have voted you out, Emily. I'm a what else is new? Yeah. I mean, but I, I'm I'm a little biased, right? I'm a veterinarian who's short. So I like uh, I like short cows to work on and I like cows that are a little smaller that I can manhandle around if I need to. Um, when I'm in a calving or I'm working on a surgery or something like that. So I'm just a little biased towards jerseys. And you don't like dragging a step stool out to palpate a cow? I, I don't. I don't. It's really hard on the shoulder. So I'm, I like jerseys. That's my, that's my bias on the dairy side. I th- there, there's lots of reasons why people choose different breeds. Uh, tradition, that's what they have now. Some people select different breeds based on what their kids want to show in 4-H. I, I think, you know, it's not one one for all. Some people use it for marketing. You know, I, I w- was on a Midwest Dairy webinar the other day talking about A2 milk, and some farmers are using Guernsey f- to, to help increase A2 uh, in their herds. So, and like I said, you know, I've studied crossbreeding for a long time, and some herds are using European breeds. So I think sometimes we think that, all of the breeds that we think about are only based in the U.S. or confined to the U.S., but there's many other breeds of cattle, of dairy cows, actually, outside of the United States, whether you're in uh, Europe or, you know, there's a whole bunch of different dairy breeds in France, actually, besides Holstein. It's quite uh, fascinating uh, to learn, albeit some of them are small, but they make specialty cheeses, uh, you name it. But breed diversity is good. I, I've always wondered how often does breed choice happen based on where the milk is going. So, right, if you're going to, because one of the main differences in the breeds is fat content, right? How, how often does that influence what breed ends up on your farm based on where you know your milk is going to go? Lately, in the, you know, in the U.S. and maybe the last 10 to 15 years, you've probably seen an explosion of Jersey uh, genetics just because of milk marketing and are moving more towards components, fat and protein and and cheese production. So jerseys have increased in a lot of Holstein herds and a lot of Holstein herds have converted to Jersey to sort of take advantage of that higher premium uh, fat and protein in milk. So, you know, jerseys have have increased in those regards, uh, which is quite fascinating because when I was younger, you know, jerseys were not that uh, popular at all and just a few people had them. But you know, now we're even seeing larger herds, you know, 3,000 to 10,000 cow dairies have all Jersey because of uh, their milk going to a cheese market. 
And I think that, you know, that is, you know, not a bad question to ask Joe, but I think, you know, the real influencer in this is how milk is sold, right? How are farmers paid for it by the hundred weight? So what's going to give you more weight, right? So in the same volume of milk. And so I think that that's where some of these traits come into that. Some of it could be influenced that, yeah, you know, we're a heavy cheese area. There's some butter in Minnesota too, a little bit of fluid milk. Um, but just, you know, the fact that really no matter what your product gets made into, every farmer gets paid the same way. And that's by the hundred weight. I've been on uh, quite a few Holstein herds, uh, uh, Holstein dairies that have, that are over 4% fat and high protein. So uh, if you want high fat and protein, that doesn't mean that you have to go with Jersey or right. Any you other can breed. select for that within each breed. You, Some you are better than others, obviously. I agree. I agree. You can select for that even within the Holstein breed if you want. Well, good. I mean, I I've always wondered that to Emily's point with the getting paid on weight. You know, traditionally those cows that have a higher fat content are also milking less milk, right? For the most part, they're they're making less milk because Jersey is not going to have the volume that a Holstein has, right? But, but the energy corrected milk can be similar, if not more, than a Holstein herd. So crossbreeding, Brad, explain to me, just give me a brief overview of what that looks like on, in, just in general. How, how is it done? What are brief, some of the advantages? Brief. <laughs> brief, so, brief. You know, you, th this could be hours long podcast if I we know that. Well, we'll make it a whole episode, but just okay. briefly for now. Uh, well, crossbreeding is uh, using two different breeds and crossing them, whether you have e either sires or, or dams. Mostly it's using a, a different breed of sire on a cow, you know, Jersey on a Holstein, uh, Jersey sire on a Holstein cow. That's really where crossbreeding started in the U.S. was using Jersey bulls on Holstein cows to take advantage of calving ease. Jersey's very good for calving ease, and that that's really why it started. So, And people are using crossbreeding to take advantage of increased fertility, increased health of cows, and greater longevity. And uh, in, in the end, uh, we've shown uh, more profitability. We'll, we'll make it brief today. That, that was good. That was good. That was <laughs> very brief. That was good. So we mentioned earlier, and we didn't, we didn't really jump into it, we mentioned dairy health traits as being part of the, the things that we can now measure with genetic testing and things like that. And they, they are being added into a lot of different genetic tests now. What kind of things can we test for, Brad? On the health traits, you know, we can, they, they'll give you um, genetic values for milk fever, mastitis, ketosis, DAs, retained placenta, and I think metritis is the other one uh, that they're uh, doing now. So you can get genetic values for those health traits. I should mention, though, if farmers and the dairy genetics uh, world wants to get good information on health traits, we need to have farmers recording all of that data. So that's probably the important way to get good health numbers on cows and bulls is for farmers to record that data. So I urge everybody to record all of the health data that they have on their farms. If a cow has a problem, please record it because it, it makes better evaluations uh, from a health standpoint. And that, that's something we see, you know, I was always frustrated with in practice. I mean, if you don't write it down, if you don't record it, then the, the records and the analysis of those records really can't do you a whole lot of good, right? 
So, and it, and it plays into the genetics as well. The more information we have, the better it is for everybody. So writing it down is the first step in all of this. I agree. And that's, you know, that, that's just one additional thing that farmers can use to sort of select on, on bulls now is, is addition of health traits. We just had that uh, start here in April uh, 2020. So it's, it's brand new. So we're, we're getting, we're learning about, about it and trying to make more accurate evaluations. So now we're getting into what should producers be selecting for? Uh, and, and what should they be looking at when the genetic company comes to them and, and gives them a selection of bulls? What should they really be looking for? What should they be trying to improve and, and grow on their farm? Well, I think if you're selecting bulls, you should sort of have goals where you want your herd to go, whether it's uh, increased production, increased fertility, increased profitability, and then, so, you know, or if you have some health problems, uh, you know, we also have calving traits in there, you know, selecting uh, sires to use in your herd based on those metrics. Obviously, I'm going to, as a geneticist, I'm going to tell you you should select for net merit because it en encompasses all of those and you should select the, the top net merit bulls. Uh, but, but really, farmers should have a goal of where they want to go to and select based on that. But I think using a, an index, whether it's net merit or TPI or JPI or, or some of the other ones, I would use the index because it includes more stuff versus selecting individual traits. That's prob probably not a, a good thing. Where do you stand on using a proven bull versus using the newest, greatest, youngest bull out there? Oh boy, this that that's a that's a subject for another podcast. So I Did select you hear all that? that was a can of worms opening. <laughs> yeah, I heard it. I heard it. <laughs> I will be brief on this comment too. So I pick all of the bulls for our university dairy here in Morris, and I use only proven bulls. Uh, I've just seen too many genomic bulls drop and, and uh, fall off the face of the earth. I I really like uh, bulls that, that have uh, daughters behind them and daughter information, and I continue to do that. I, I do not use genomic bulls uh, in our herd. I, I tend to agree with you, Brad. I, maybe I'm biased as well, but I even on the beef side, I see too many of these unproven bulls or these new bulls, genomic bulls, that the accuracy is not there on their PTAs or the EPDs, and they, as they learn more and more about them, a lot of them do drop out or drop off and that it can be a little scary when you use a high percentage of that bull and then you see his numbers fall off. I agree with you. That probably won't make very, some people happy, but um, you know, I, that's my opinion. I, I like, if some people like the genomic bulls and want to use those, then, then that's um, you know, your choice and more, more power to you. I, I choose to use proven bulls. You know, Brad, people don't have to agree with everything we say on this podcast. If they don't, they can die mad. <laughs> Not our well, I think uh, I think that's good. I we we need to have we need to have more people disagree with us. Yeah, some, I agree. I agree. Get some rioting in the streets going. Yeah, send us some angry hate mail. Do it. <laughs> the Mooseroom at umn.edu. <laughs> I was waiting for that pop in there. Send it. We can give Send out uh, Emily's email address if you'd like. Absolutely. Yeah, cell phone number, you know. All of it. Okay, so what goes along with selecting for and what you should select for is 
what actually makes a dairy money? Is it milk production? Is it energy corrected milk? Is it actual longevity of cows? I mean, if the you, spouse that works off the farm, if the spouse that works Sorry. off the farm, yeah. there's all of that that's included. Yes. That's, that's, uh, Hey, Emily, that's a, that's true. It's a valid point. I think. It is a valid point. Absolutely. Uh, if, if you're looking at a dairy, obviously we, we get paid for production. So you, you have to get milk, uh, fat and protein somehow, but it's not necessary. You need to strive for high production uh, to do that. Example at our university dairy, our cows only milk 55 to 60 pounds of milk. And we do quite well because we get, you know, we're running a four, five fat and a three, six protein. So uh, we're doing well on the fat and protein. And so we don't necessarily strive for high milk production. You know, some herds do well selecting for high milk production. I just think there's other things out there in good fertility uh, and less health problems. I think, you know, we, we talk about uh, uh, studies in, in our crossbreeding podcast, but well, one of my grad students, Mike Donnelly, we'll give him a shout out. Uh, what up, Mike? Yeah, exactly. He, he worked with Les Hansen and I, and we uh, looked at Holstein uh, health, uh, health of Holstein cows in dairy farms. And as those Holstein cows got older, they had more health problems and cost more. So, you know, trying to reduce health costs can be a, a big advantage as well. But you really farms. need to view genetics not only as it's what can make you money, but it's also what can save you money, right? If you're thinking about fertility, other health issues. That's right. That's right. I think yeah, trying to reduce some costs by genetics can be a, a win-win too. Yeah. And pr productive longevity is what I always kind of go to. That's the phrase I use. You can have a cow that sticks around for too long, right? And they're, they have longevity, but maybe they shouldn't have been there because they weren't productive that whole time. But productive longevity is, is what makes you money, in my opinion. We have uh, a cow in our herd at Morris. She's 17 years old. She doesn't necessarily kill herself in the bulk tank, but she gets pregnant all the time and doesn't have many health problems. So she can stay as long as she wants. Exactly. That's the cow that I love. And she's been profitable and has had like, I don't know, seven or eight heifer calves. There you go. So she's earned her keep. Absolutely. She sure has. And that, and that only gets to be more important as we look at how much it costs to raise a heifer, right? Um, they got to be able to stick around and, and at least break even and hopefully do a lot more than that. All right. I think we, we've covered the basics. We've got most of it in there. Um, we're going to come back to crossbreeding. Obviously, we have a lot to talk about. We what? talk about in, inbreeding and crossbreeding. That, that's our in inbreeding too. That's that's one we didn't we didn't ask today that I think we should leave alone. So we'll 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 wrap it there. Uh, we'll cut it we'll cut it there because we're going to come back to this. It's a topic that's going to continue to come up. We'll continue to do episodes on it as we see, find more things that we want to talk about as we ask questions that get Bradley all riled up. We'll, we'll make sure to write those down uh, so we can cover them in the future. If you have any questions, comments, ideas, send them angry letters. Uh, send them to the moose room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week. You're sassy today, aren't you? I was pretty sassy, wasn't I? Sassy today.